Dr. Light, we've done several podcasts together, yes? Yes, we have. Yes, and I get in trouble when I say one of my favorite. I'm not supposed to have favorites, Dr. Light. It'll be our secret. Well, plus you're about to. When do you, when do you leave? When do you fly the coop? Well, I'm actually starting here the day after I graduate. So it's like 23 days or something like that. Ah, bittersweet. So she's great. She is graduating in a month because I'm in clinic. So you hear the background noise. And then she's going to join the group. Anyway, quick question for you. So during vaginal exam, super easy, right? And did I give you the question beforehand? No. So I'm a little nervous. No, no, it's good. It's good. Spontaneous is the way to go. During labor and delivery for vaginal exams, assuming that she's not ruptured, do you use a sterile glove or just a clean glove? Sterile glove. Aha. Uh-huh. You use a sterile glove, right? Yeah. Is that evidence-based? I hope so, because I'm doing it. I love it. I'm not going to get into it. Let's just stop right there. But just to drive it home, there you go. Of course, use a sterile glove. No data behind that. We're going to discuss that in this episode. All right, podcast family, here is your fair warning right at the start. Get ready, because in this episode, we may ruffle some feathers. Why why do we say that, ruffle some feathers? Uh, Like if we're chickens or something. Uh, But you get what that saying means, right? It means get under your skin, make you feel a little uncomfortable, gives you a little bit of angst. And that's okay because that's what challenges us to develop and to grow both personally and professionally. See, here at Clinical Pearls, we're all about telling you the latest data, what's coming out in print. And we're going to do that in this episode. But one of these articles that we're covering today is what's going to ruffle feathers because it challenges the way we typically perform vaginal examinations in labor. Now, let me be very clear. I'm talking about regular checks in labor when the patient is not ruptured. Okay, we can tackle that in another time. But just routine cervical checks or even forget in labor, just the 39-week patient who's in your office and wants a cervical exam as she considers induction. Uh, Here's the question. Do you use a clean glove, like the typical blue glove from, from a box? Or do you grab the sterile glove? Ah, that's the question. What is the effect of sterile compared to clean gloves for cervical checks, specifically in labor, in regards to maternal infection at term? We're going to cover that because you know, as well as I do, the typical practice out of habit and tradition is that we perform cervical examinations, especially in labor, with sterile gloves, even when the patient is not ruptured. But is there any data to support that or is it based on tradition? Now, before we get into the data, no, it's not wrong to use sterile gloves at all. That's totally fine. But if you think that's a better infection preventative tool over a clean glove, then you may be mistaken. I'm going to explain why in this episode. So we're going to cover a lot of history here because this isn't about the June 2023 publication, which is the one we're going to highlight in this episode, because this has actually been looked at in previous years by other authors. And I'm going to show you a nurse discussion on one of the online nursing forums that actually talked about this very thing before this data came out. Okay, so just to be clear, we're going to be highlighting and summarizing a soon to be released as in June 2023, even though this came out as an EPUB in March 2023 from the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology MFM version. So this is the pink journal, not the gray journal, but the pink one. Does it matter if you use a sterile glove compared to a clean glove for vaginal exams intrapartum when the patient is not ruptured? Let's get into the data and rattle some feathers now. 
just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so I found this labor and delivery nursing book by Lippincott, Williams, and Wilkins. Okay, it's amazing what you find when you're doing some background data and, and research on the subject. Well, on chapter 14 of this nursing guide for intrapartum care, chapter 14 has nursing management during labor and birth. Great. And in this, under the section vaginal exams, it states, quote, although not all nurses perform vaginal examinations on laboring women in all practice settings, most nurses working in community hospitals do so because physicians are not routinely present in labor and birth suites, end quote. Totally true. I'm with it. I'm digging it. That's totally correct. And then it goes on to say, quote, after donning sterile gloves, the examiner inserts his or her index and middle fingers into the vaginal introitus, end quote. So let's stop right there. So in this nursing textbook for labor delivery management, it says to put on sterile gloves because we don't want to introduce bacteria or cause ascending infection during the exam. Now, if you're thinking, uh, all right, Chapa, that sounds pretty normal. That's what we do. There's nothing out of line there. No feathers are rustled because of that. And that's totally fine. I agree with that. That's, that is exactly what we do based on tradition. I'm not arguing that, the tradition. My question has to do with the data behind it. Is that evidence-based? Is it true that using sterile gloves when the patient is not ruptured, that that's somehow better at preventing infection than just regular clean gloves? Where's that evidence? And the answer is going to surprise you as we progress down this road. Now, let's take into contrast what we just read with another statement, another labor and delivery policy that's in true clinical practice, not from a textbook, okay? So I'm going to read to you from the Perinatal Manual of Southwestern Ontario. You see, I told you it's crazy what you find when you dedicate some time to go do some database searches and some internet queries. It's crazy what you find and you're like, wow, that's pretty interesting. Anyway, we found this out of Southwestern Ontario, to be specific, this out of their labor and delivery policy. This is chapter five, which has to do with digital vaginal examinations. All right. This was last revised October 20. 18, so not long ago. And here's what it says regarding the performance of vaginal exams in labor. Under their method for performance, it's number three. Quote, wash hands and use a single sterile glove if ruptured membranes. Clean gloves may be used if the patient has intact membranes. End quote. Ah, so you see that contrast there? So on the one hand, we have the nursing textbook that says you have to use sterile gloves because we don't want to introduce infection, like the vagina is somehow sterile. And then you have this 2018 policy and procedures from Southwestern Ontario that says, hey, as long as she's not ruptured, uh, regular clean gloves should be okay. And then once she's ruptured, sterile gloves. So that's a dichotomy. Do you see that? So two different perspectives there. 
Now, let me set the stage here clearly, and I want to make sure that I don't get misunderstood in what we're talking about. The focus of this episode has to do with the laboring patient at term who's not ruptured, okay? It is tradition and accepted if the patient is ruptured, then to use sterile gloves is considered best practice because now she has an open conduit. There's definitely that communication with the vagina, cervix, and the intrauterine cavity, okay? So I'm not questioning what to do when the patient is ruptured, nor am I questioning what to do when the patient is preterm. We have even less data on that. But it would you would figure to be the same as if she was that term. But because it's preterm, we definitely don't want to stir things up and rock the boat, so to speak. So if the patient is preterm, convention is probably use sterile, I guess, even though we don't have any data for that. But for this episode, we're focusing on the term patient intrapartum, not ruptured, or for the same thing as we talked about uh, in the intro, uh, the same uh, flip of the hat, we're talking about the patient who's in the office having a routine cervical examination at term, but who is not ruptured. Okay, podcast family, here's a good place for us to kind of hold on for a minute, take a pause, take a little breath, everybody just chill out for a minute, uh, and figure out why, why are we even doing this? I mean, who cares, right? I mean, put on a glove that's sterile, put on a glove that's clean, just put on a glove, period, right? I mean, who's with me? Just never do a vaginal exam uh, without a glove, all right? That's the basic fact. But it really does come down to the science. I mean, if we're claiming to be evidence-based, then why are we using a sterile glove if it doesn't really matter? So that's the question. It's not just about preference. It's about what to do with, with resources to be good stewards of our resources because sterile gloves cost significantly more than than just a regular glove from a box, a clean glove. Uh, and if the data isn't there, how do we claim to be evidence-based, yet we're doing something out of tradition that doesn't have any evidence? So that's why this matters, okay? So it's not just preference. It really has to do with the evidence. What is the evidence? And really just to correct ourselves, because if we think that we're doing something in the patient's best interest and the data isn't there, then maybe we shouldn't be doing it. Maybe it's okay to use clean gloves at term for labor checks as long as she's not ruptured. We're going to cover all of this data, uh, highlighting at the end, again, cumulating. We're just go- going up the mountain till we get to the summit, which is this June 2023 publication out of the AJOG MFM version. So anyway, it does matter. It's not just preference. If we say that we're evidence-based, we should probably follow the data. And that's the reason that we're doing this. It's not just what you choose to do. is what does the data say that we should be doing? Oh, now, wait a minute. Before I leave this commentary portion of the episode and get back to the data, I really do love what the authors of this June 2023 publication say in their background section of their abstract, because it fits exactly with what we're talking about uh, in raising this question to the forefront, okay? They state this, quote, in nearly all other settings of gynecological care, aside from surgery in an OR setting, non-sterile gloves are used. Even though the uterus could be viewed as sterile in normal pregnancies, the provider performing the cervical examination must transverse the milieu of vaginal bacteria in order to reach the cervix to perform the exam. This in and of itself introduces vaginal microbiota into the uterus regardless of the types of glove used. End quote. 
Ah, just a little highlight of what's coming up when we really do focus on the June 2023 publication. But I love what they put into their abstract in the background section because it's exactly why we're talking about this. If it doesn't make any sense, why are we doing it? Tradition has a role, but when it doesn't line up with evidence-based data, then tradition should go along to the back seat. I like that Ontario made that distinction. They went that extra step to clarify between sterile gloves for ruptured membranes or clean gloves for non-ruptured. And just to be clear, that's Ontario, Canada. But in Alberta, if you take a look at their best practices, they actually don't use clean gloves at all for vaginal exams in their policy and procedures documentation. So if you take a look at the selection and use of gloves for obstetrical and gynecological procedures out of Alberta, again, Alberta, Canada, in the contrast to Ontario, they say that sterile gloves should be used for, quote, surgical procedures. Uh, Yeah, I'm okay with that. Vaginal delivery, vaginal exams during labor rupture of membranes, and then they go on for other things. So they group sterile gloves for all vaginal exams during labor in addition to ruptured membranes and, of course, vaginal delivery. So you see that contrast there. So you have Canada with Ontario going, hey, ruptured or not, you can do these two as options. And then you have Alberta that says that all vaginal exams during labor should use sterile gloves. It's a dichotomy. We're going to get into the data in just a minute. But I just found that interesting. Oh, what an interesting little debate, isn't it? I found this online nursing blog from allnurses.com. It's obviously for nurses, and it's an online discussion board. And I found this conversation from July the 11th, 2009. And the title of this thread is exactly what we're talking about here. Ready? Here it goes. Vaginal exams with sterile gloves or regular gloves. Yeah, this goes back to 2009. This is over a decade ago. So I'm glad that we now have and we will present RCT level one evidence that that hopes to, to answer this question. But here's what this nurse stated or opposed to the nursing board uh, on July the 11th, 2009. Quote, what are the guidelines or recommendations on vaginal exams for sterile gloves? Is there ever a time when it's appropriate to do an exam with regular non-sterile exam gloves? What a great, great question. Let me read you what one of the respondents stated. Now, I'm going to give you two respondents. I'm going to give you two quotes that... Now, I'm going to give you two replies, but let me start with this one first. Quote, we always use sterile gloves. End quote. That's it. No explanation. That's it. We just Hey, we always use sterile gloves. Okay, well, that's good. But listen to this other, a little bit more thoughtful response from somebody else. Quote, the vagina isn't remotely sterile and barring lacerations or OB considerations, clean gloves are perfectly acceptable. In the OR, the vagina is classified by AORN as clean contaminated or class 2. Let me just comment here. I love that. They went straight for the AORN, class 1, class 2, class 3, class 4 designation. And absolutely correct, vaginal cases are considered clean contaminated. That's class 2. And just as a quick reminder, class 1 is truly sterile, meaning not entering into a viscous or the GU tract. Clean 2 is clean contaminated. Uh, Class 3 incisions or procedures are those that are uh, truly contaminated, like a laparoscopy that enters the bowel or ruptures the, the appendix. That's a contaminated case. And then class 4 is 
uh, grossly dirty or infected. Okay, so this respondent hit it correctly, uh, right a nail on the head, saying, "Hey, these are class two procedures. Perfect." And then the respondent goes on to say, "Quote." So I don't see where you'd need sterile gloves for a vaginal exam. Clean gloves, not dropped on the floor first, of course, should be fine. End quote. All right, that's pretty good. Now, I would have added one more caveat in this response, which is, hey, if the patient is ruptured, then I guess their sterile gloves obviously make sense, though we don't have any prospective or level one evidence to prove that. But do you see how this debate, even in this online nurse's chat, you've got one respondent, we always use sterile gloves. And then the other is, hey, it's not sterile, long as she's not ruptured, clean gloves is fine. Ooh, it's a good debate. And again, we're going to get into this new RCT that hopefully clears up some of this confusion. We're going to cover that in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Now that we've laid that foundation, I do want to cover three publications that can help address this issue of clean versus sterile gloves for vaginal checks in labor and delivery, all right? We're going to start in 2010, and I don't really like this publication too much because it's got a lot of logistical issues, and it wasn't just focusing on the gloves. It focused on the whole package, in other words, sterile environment versus just clean environment. And it wasn't just focused on that one variable. It was a lot of different things involved. And I don't like how they collected one piece of data. But nonetheless, I'll I'll go over that in a minute. But we'll start in 2010. We're going to move over to 2018 with a review on best practice that addressed this. And then we'll end with our level one evidence, the June 2023 RCT on sterile versus clean gloves in labor and delivery. All right. But let's start first in 2010. This 2010 publication comes out of the University of Turin in Italy. The journal is the Journal of Evaluation in Clinical Practice. I don't know if that's still a thing or not, but it was in 2010. This is the International Journal of the Public Health Policy and Health Services Research Team. Again, I don't know if they're still around, but anyway, 2010. The title is Clean and Sterile Delivery, Two Different Approaches to Infection Control, and they focused in labor and delivery. So here's the gist and the vibe of this paper, okay? So basically they're saying, look, we've kind of taken a natural process, which is low-risk delivery, and made it way too surgical and procedurized. Uh, I mean, we can relate to that, right? So the idea is good, but it leaves a lot of things that were not able to be controlled. So what they did is they said, look, we have two different hospitals, two different locations. We're going to call one location A, and then the other one we're going to call location B. Location A is the sterile delivery folks, all right? Those are the peeps who put on all the caps and gowns, uh, got a mask for everything, and even the attendant, the person who is accompanying the the patient in labor and delivery, uh, gets gowns and uh, shoe covers uh, and a cap, right? Very procedural, very sterile environment. And this, of course, uses... Uh, the, the routine use of sterile gloves. And then we have hospital B or location B, which they call the clean delivery model, which was, hey, the attendant who's accompanying the patient can be in their regular clothes. 
the healthcare provider can put on gloves and maybe a mask during delivery to prevent, uh, you know, body fluid contact, uh, but may or may not have a gown. And for the most part, they use just regular uh, clean gloves and with, quote, selective use of sterile gloves, end quote. Now, here's one of the reasons I don't like this publication. Remember, it's 2010, and part of the sterile delivery protocol was to do routine shaving, yeah, for vaginal delivery, and routine episiotomy use. Now, just deal with that. I know episiotomies aren't routine, but that's not our focus here. It's the idea of making an ultra-sterile environment, right, for routine low-risk delivery, or just a clean environment. And they wanted to see if there was any increase in infections. But here's the second thing that I don't like. The way that they tracked infections wasn't by hospital codes or database query. They called patients up at 30 days. And that's fine, but it leaves a lot for patient recall. I mean, just because they didn't think they had an infection didn't mean they didn't have one because they weren't evaluated. So the follow-up for infections up to 30 days was by patient contact. Hey, did you go into the hospital? Did you have fever? Did you have something called an abscess? Did you have something called metritis? Did you get antibiotics? So it's okay, but just leaves a lot of subjective uh, interpretation by the patient, all right? So not just the gloves, they're looking at bigger environments, clean environment versus sterile. These poor pregnant women that can send it to this, because there is one kind of creepy part to it, <laughs> is that during the labor and delivery management, quote, healthcare workers were observed to distinguish correct from incorrect practices. In other words, they were making sure that they stayed with their either sterile delivery model or their clean delivery model. And so they had this independent research observer go in every time a, a healthcare worker went in to check a patient or to have an interaction with the patient in labor, they were observed. Um, uh, hey, it is what it is. So again, I don't really like it. This direct observation thing is a little weird. Uh, patients were just relied on for their information at 30 days for, for infection um, rating. But it's okay. Remember, it, and it was a general vibe of clean versus sterile, focusing not only on the use of gloves. Well, what happened? Well, as you could pretty much guess, uh, no big difference in the rate of infections between the clean hospital practices or the sterile hospital practices. It didn't make any difference at all. So one of the concluding observations that these authors had was, quote, comparison between sterile versus clean delivery did not demonstrate any advantage of one model over the other or increased risk of delivery-related infections, end quote. Now, one of the limitations of the study stated by the authors is that there seemed to be a lot of variance in practice within each zone. So even in those that were in the sterile environment, they still kind of used clean gloves, even though they were kind of by tradition supposed to use sterile gloves for exams. And the same holds true in the clean group, even though they were just by tradition supposed to use clean gloves until they were ruptured. The observers actually found that some of those were using sterile gloves. So there were some variants within each one of these different camps. But they stated, quote, practices and behaviors adopted in the clean delivery model demonstrated greater coherence within its clean delivery model as compared to the sterile delivery model. In other words, there was much more variance in the sterile group compared to those that practice in the clean environment. I know there's gut issues. I mean, they did shaving for vaginal delivery in the sterile group and they had routine episiotomy. But those are issues that we're not going to talk about right now. Remember, that was a different time. That's 2010. And the whole take home is, is it there an advantage to sterilizing low risk vaginal delivery? Right? That's really what they're talking about here. Can we make it so surgical and OR-ish that it, number one, turns patients off? 
Two, uh, doesn't really do anything. And three, just increase costs. And that's actually what they're getting at here is, hey, being sterile and ultra clean is fantastic, but it doesn't really increase uh, the infection precaution. It doesn't decrease infection rates. Even though there was some limitations with this, we're going to drop this right now and then go to the best practice review from 2018 because this gives us additional information. The publication from 2018 is out of the March edition of Evidence-Based Practice, and the title, as you would guess, is, quote, Does use of sterile gloves by providers during labor and delivery decrease maternal or neonatal morbidity compared with non-sterile gloves? You see, I told you, nothing is new. So even though this June 2023 publication is super helpful because it does give RCT level one evidence for this, this is something that's been going on for over a decade. We had that nursing discussion on the online chat board in 2009, that publication from 2010. And now here we are in 2018, five years ago, this was still being discussed. So let's get into what the authors concluded was evidence-based practice regarding sterile versus just clean gloves for vaginal exams in labor and delivery. Well, before this becomes a one-hour episode, let's just cut to the chase because we still have to review the current June 2023 publication. According to evidence-based practice from 2018, quote, well, the answer is uncertain. In laboring women with intact amniotic membranes, the use of sterile gloves is not associated with improved maternal or neonatal morbidity as the current evidence provides. They go on to say no prospective studies have evaluated the use of sterile versus non-sterile gloves for routine delivery. But remember, we do have that now. But at 2018, they didn't have this information. And their last statements state, bacterial counts on clean, non-sterile gloves do not seem to reach a minimum concentration required to cause infection or to cause contamination of an area of inspection. In other words, yeah, they may not be sterile and they may have some bacterial counts on them, but they're too low to actually be pathologic. Ooh, how are your feathers? Are they ruffled yet? All right, so you see, I told you this was going to be interesting. This was from 2018, and the evidence-based practice is like, nah, I don't know. doesn't seem to be any difference, but knock yourself out. But this is why we needed this level one prospective data. So let's do that as we come to the end of the episode right now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're finally at the June 2023 publication from the American Journal of OBGYN MFM, the Pink Journal. Now, before I go over this, I do need to tell you I got kicked out of my little podcast room. Something's wrong with the room. They're redoing some of the soundproof stuff, the little styrofoam-looking stuff that goes in the wall. So I took my little mic and my laptop, and I am literally in a hallway. So if the audio is kind of off, I could wait to the room to get fixed, but I'm so type A, I just want to get this done. Uh, so we're going to roll with it. 
Well, thank goodness for portable mics and sound engineers. Let's just leave it at that. All right, June 2023. The article title is Effective Sterile Versus Clean Gloves for Cervical Checks in Labor on Maternal Infection Rates at Term. Yes, thankfully, this is an RCT. All right, so this is some level one evidence. And here we go. And I like what the authors state in the abstract. They're like, look, um, it's common practice that we use sterile gloves Quote, although there are no data currently to support that this practice reduces the rates of infection, end quote. Now, that's not even the results, all right? That's just, (laughs) they're just setting up the study, but they're setting up this thing like, uh, we're not sure why we're doing this. It seems to be a tradition. There is no data to support this. Now, let's see if what they found out supports that hypothesis or not. The investigators for this study come out of Eastern Virginia Medical School. The participants who consented to the study were randomized to receive all cervical exams with sterile, powder-free, polyvinyl chloride exam gloves, which is the current routine practice, and that was the control group, or clean, powder-free, nitrile gloves, which was the non-sterile experimental group. Now, this was not blinded because how can you mask whether it's a sterile glove or not? I mean, that's pretty hard to mask, right? So neither the clinical providers performing the exam nor the participants were blinded to the glove type. However, the researchers that looked at the data and analyzed it didn't know who got who, all right? They were just broken up into two groups, glove one and then glove two for data collection and analysis, all right? So the analyzers of the data were blinded, but not the researchers uh, or the patients. To be eligible to participate, the patients had to be at least 18 years of age, they had to have a term pregnancy, and they have to have their amniotic membranes intact on admission. This was either for patients in spontaneous labor or patients undergoing induction of labor. Now, for the exclusion criteria, it was stuff that didn't apply to that. So preterm, being post-term, having membranes ruptured, or having a present diagnosis of chorioamnionitis or any other type of suspected intramniotic infection. Some other interesting exclusion criteria were patients who were immunocompromised, like they had HIV or congenital syndromes, or they were transplant recipients, or they were on some immunosuppressant medication. Also, patients with intrauterine fetal demises were also excluded. Well, let's just cut to the chase here. There were no significant differences found in rates of intrapartum infection or postpartum infection or combined rates of infection between the sterile glove use or the clean glove group. And on sub-analysis, what the researchers found also makes sense. When they compared the patients from both groups who had any intrapartum infection or postpartum infection with those who didn't, those who had infection were more likely to have longer times from first cervical exam to delivery, in other words, longer labors, and have longer times of rupture of membrane to delivery. I mean, that just makes sense, right? Longer time of prolonged rupture, well, that gives you risk factor for infection, or just a prolonged labor in general raises the risk for infection. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an important cost implication of just what these results mean to labor and delivery hospitals all throughout the U.S. But before I do that, I do need to give an important disclosure about this study that the authors are very upfront with, and that has to do with their study numbers, right? The number of patients recruited. So here's what they say, quote, Sample size calculations estimated that 300 participants would be needed to have a rate of infection of 10% in the control group 
and 20% in the experimental group. Remember, 20% are the clean gloves and then the control were the sterile gloves. And those were the numbers needed to demonstrate a difference between the groups. However, the rates of infection were much lower than expected at 5.4% and 4.4% in the sterile and clean glove group, respectfully. At this point, it was determined futile to continue the study because a sample size of greater than 29,000 would be needed to have an infection rate of 10% in the control and 20% in the experimental group. So in other words, they ended the study early because infection rates were so low to begin with and there was no real differences between the groups. They're like, hey, in order for us to get the 10% rate of infection in the control and 20% in the experimental, we're just not, not going to have those, those patient volume, that number. So we're just going to stop early here and count it a wash. Okay, now that we've gotten that acknowledgement out of the way, here's the conclusions. And if you're in labor and delivery, nurse management, or responsible somehow for the funding of your unit, you may want to pay attention to this. Here's what the author's conclusions were. Quote, Using clean gloves for cervical examinations during labor is unlikely to increase risk of infection, and it could reduce the cost up to 92%, saving an institution over $25,000 annually, end quote. Oh, I think this was a good one. I like this kind of stuff. Stuff that makes you kind of think, kind of questions the status quo and questions tradition. Now, it's true. This is just one RCT. We don't have like a plethora of them. That's a cool word, by the way, plethora. Anyway, we need more. But based on both cohort studies and retrospective studies and the publication from Evidence-Based Practice in 2018, it just doesn't seem to make a difference because the vagina, here's the big spoiler, is not sterile. So unless we somehow sterilize the labia, the vulva, and the vagina before a vaginal exam, using a sterile glove is probably not going to make any difference compared to a clean glove. Now, if the patient is ruptured, even though we don't have any data on that either, convention would guide and would convention would tell you that it probably would be best to use a sterile glove. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. If anything, it's a good discussion around the water cooler about using sterile gloves or clean gloves for labor checks in labor and delivery, as long as the patient is that term and they are not ruptured. Again, this comes out of June 2023 from AJOG MFN. And I hope you found this topic interesting. Let me know what you think. Send me a Facebook message, whether you use clean gloves or sterile gloves in labor and delivery before rupture. As always, we're thankful for you and we're glad that you're part of our podcast community and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.